Welcome to an audio stream from San Marino Community Church, featuring our own pastoral staff and various guest speakers. You know, in uh, 1967, just over 50 years ago, the church was in the midst of our culture that was in some upheaval with the, uh, the issues of civil rights, the issues of the Vietnam War, and the Presbyterian Church USA, using a text of Scripture from 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21, discovered a new lens for how to view and understand what was happening in our midst and what the church can do about it. This text of Scripture became the foundation for the Confession of 1967, which is located in our Book of Confessions and just celebrated its 50th anniversary. As I read this text of Scripture, I'm going to invite our conversation partners in this courageous conversation to come forward and take your places up here. And following my reading of Scripture, we're going to have a conversation about what it means to be agents of reconciliation in the world. Please come forward. I invite you to listen for God's Word for you. So if anyone is in Christ... There's a new creation. Everything old has passed away. See, everything has become new. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting the message of reconciliation to us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we entreat you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We have a remarkable opportunity this morning. Reverend Dr. John Perkins is in town. He lives in Mississippi, but he was here for an annual fundraising event for Harambee Ministries last night, and he agreed uh, before he catches a flight early this afternoon to join us for this conversation this morning on reconciliation, and in particular, what does racial reconciliation look like in America today? And what is the role of the church? Dr. Perkins is internationally known, and uh, we have also an internationally known representative of our congregation who's going to be part of this conversation. Dr. Phil and Sharon Eaton joined our congregation over a year ago, having just retired from Seattle, Washington. He was the ninth president of Seattle Pacific University from 96 to 2012. And prior to his presidency there, he served as an interim president of Whitworth University, a Presbyterian university in Spokane, Washington. And he was a professor of English and American literature at Whitworth there from 1968 to 1985. 
So I've asked if Dr. Phil Eaton, who is a good friend of John Perkins, and who established the Perkins Center for Reconciliation at Seattle Pacific University, if he would introduce our esteemed guest this morning. Phil. Great. Well, um, folks, we have a, an extraordinary opportunity this morning, a beautiful opportunity to welcome uh, a remarkable man, the Reverend uh, uh, Dr. John Perkins in our midst. I have the privilege and also the challenge of introducing him very briefly so that we can get on with hearing from him. But John Perkins grew up in um, a small rural town in, in pre-civil rights uh, Mississippi. Uh, his mother died when uh, he was a baby. His father had, had left their home. Schooling ended, by the way, about the third grade. Uh, in those days, we can imagine the region was filled uh, with all kinds of hatred. Suffering uh, poured down on the black community, and John's family and himself were not immune from that. His brother was shot down in a racial incident in the streets of Mendenhall. John was ambushed and arrested and put in jail overnight and tortured and beaten. As a young boy, a farmer tried to rob him of his dignity by paying him 15 cents for an all-day's work in the cotton fields. But something remarkable happened to John Perkins, and that's the story. He and his wonderful wife, Vera May, moved out to Pasadena. One day, his son, Spencer... Monrovia. Uh, Monrovia. Monrovia. Okay, got it. Monrovia. In Monrovia. One day his son Spencer came home from church school singing a song that John had never heard before. Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world, yellow, black, brown, and white. Jesus loves all the children of the world. They are precious in his sight. And that was the first time that John had discovered God's love for him, God's love for all of us. And out of that came a, a, a vision, a vision for his own life to spread the love of God into our broken world. And he has stuck with that vision every moment of his life and will do it once again today and as he uh, moves on into the future. John Perkins' vision is clear and simple. The love of Christ will transform our lives, no doubt about it, but the love of Christ will also change the world. So we are honored to have you here with us, Dr. Perkins, and I wonder if you would not all please once again welcome John Perkins. Now, let me begin real quickly here, John, with a question. Well, let me respond. Okay, you bet. Absolutely. Let me respond. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it would be difficult for you to understand the, both the time now, the emotion that I feel, and the opportunity that we have 
to both understand sin and repentance that go along with this reconciliation and to be here with you at this time and then to know that this church 25 or so years ago joined with our mission of Harami and then of OK and with our Door of Hope, I, along with Steve Lazarin, instituted that for the homeless in this town. And so that gave me such joy to know about our fellowship here together. And then me growing up in, in, in uh, Monrovia, coming to Christ, understanding San Marina and these places, and to be in, even in this reconciled fellowship here. It, it's, a, it's a beautiful, Emotion, and I want to say the the forgiving of sin is the intention of the incarnation, and to reconcile us to each other is all together as one. And uh, so, even as we listen, coming to that conclusion is coming to the original conclusion. If you came to it, whenever you did, that was a pivot point in your life. And all the old is gone and the newest come. Of course, we got to still deal with the effect of sin in our lives. So we have a new beginning. We are born into the family of God. Most people don't understand that. They, because they live with so much of the guilt. And the forgiveness of sin is the essence they shall call his name Jesus, and they shall save his people from our sin. Now we're on a new pilgrimage together. We are born again into the family of God. We don't understand that. What a race coming at. That's a false idea. Yes, you are new humanity in one humanity. Jesus' blood, he, his breath, give us the life, his blood cleanses us, and we all bleed alike. So, so we're going we to come into a new oneness, and the rest of our life is to live how? To be friends. Because friends are the wraparound. So we're at a point in history. You can't go back. To go back is to have terrorists because men have dignity. And now we got a media that shows us each other, that comes face to face. We have no alternative without violence to move forward. Mm -hmm. And the church was designed to do that. So God was in Christ. That's the church. Reconciling the world unto himself. That's the mission. And he's given that, and he has deified and dignified us by making us ambassadors. Mm -hmm. And so we are all significant people. Mm -hmm. And what we got to do is stop trying to issue out dignity in small doses. We got to proclaim it. That's a statement from God. This is not a negotiation about God's humanity. He created it. I hope we can get that. Mm -hmm. Because we are so many years living in this false reality of life. And so I, to be here today with you, 
and to be here on this mission together. Oh, Lord, whenever you discover it, let's don't hold people responsible for the past. That's what we do. And if we can't, if, and if we can't forgive, we done created a problem. You done created Israel and the Arabs. You've created, if we can't forgive. And if we keep demonizing each other, we're just aggravating it. And what we call racial reconciliation, racial reconciliation is an oxymoron. It creates, we're streaming at each other. We're saying that one, we got two races. We got two races. And when we call a white person a racist, we are demonizing him. When you call me now black and a uh, nigger, what used to be the deal, you were demonizing me. And you are hit at, at, at the basic dignity of humanity. And so we got to come back now to love is a reflection of that. Love is a reflection of human dignity. That's why he came, for God so loved the world. That's my little sermon. What, what a day. What a day for us to be living in this now world. This now world. Yes. All right. John is a preacher. Amen. Amen. Uh, wonderful, John. Um, so I've got a practical question yes. to, to begin with. Uh, you're 87 years old. Yes. Uh, and uh, I, hanging out with you for many years now, I know you've got more energy than two or three of us put together. What's the source of your vitality? What's the secret? What is your secret? <laughs> I think it's, for me, the gratitude of God's redemption and the gratitude of the friends that God has given me. I have had 57 years with a freedom that you can't imagine. And that freedom have come out of individual friendship that has freed me from the tanglement of myself and has sort of given me the privilege of trying to serve others. Now I'm so, now I'm just living now. The energy now is thank you. This energy act will come from me being here. Y'all have participated. You have participated in that. I, I think that's my... Yeah. That's my energy. Yeah. I think that's yeah. my energy. My gratitude to God, my gratitude for you. And, and if I would have understood this all the way, I would have been more courageous. Yeah. Yeah. If, I, if, if, if I understood that y'all could love me like I have been loved, I'm satisfied with it. I'm satisfied with that. I'm satisfied with my friends. I'm not mad with them in life. So I think that's, that's a source of, of, ought to be a source of passion. It ought to be a source of passion. Yes. You know, I've always said, John, that uh, listening to your story over time, um, you deserve the right to be angry and to be bitter and resentful but something utterly changed your life. T 
Talk about that change. What happened? I think making the coming to a truth. See, I was not impressed either way, both beneficial or negative, about the church. I was neutral in it for the way, but I didn't see the redemption that was in it. And it was, so even when I became a Christian, what brought me to Christ affirmed what was already there. You, you, you know, so when I heard that Jesus loved the little children, all the children of the world, they couldn't have been singing that in Mississippi, when the, in, in, in Alabama and Arkansas, when the governor is standing at the door keeping those little children out. Mm-hmm. I knew there was something wrong with that, and the churches was the biggest reaction. Mm-hmm. So I didn't see the church as you would have seen it in those days, I think that's a little bit of where my energy come from because uh, I found one basic truth that you give your life to can become a power force in society. And the more you can organize your life around, even that truth will open up more enlightening truth. That would be Bill Gates' job and any other creative person. But, but if you close your knowledge base too tight, mm-hmm. nothing can get in there. It become old and, and it become a restraining mm-hmm. in life. Uh, so I don't, almost forgot the question. I, mean, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I'm still giving the sorts of my, my uh, gratitude. These might be yeah, the same question. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let Just, me ask mm-hmm. a question, John. You, uh, several years ago, a documentary was made about your life. And in that docu- documentary, you talk about a moment that, that you experienced calling. And it had to do with walking up to this big old tree, and you recall encountering an old black woman sitting there who said to you, stand up, young man, stand up. You're not just standing up for yourself, but for the whole black race. Can you reflect a little on your calling and how that has shaped your ministry? Uh, Those are two callings, yes. Uh, And I really think... uh, you stated it when you said God has a plan for your life. God had already called you to that plan. It's a matter of you discovering it. So most of my ventures has to do with a sense of calling and then the giftedness and developing the talent around that, that sort of life. I think when this incident of that lady, it, it, it brought my, my, my sense of, of contributing to my own people's history. I was, I'd been locked in jail, and I was at my trial, and I was in, it was in the first court, and during the civil rights movement, we knew that we were going to be convicted at the first court. So the lawyers prepared to remove it. That became the idea. And to move it eventually into the federal court. 
me beginning to understand all of that myself in the case, and I'm being convicted in the court in Mendenhall, we had a break. And what I thought my whole life's reputation was gone. Because I was, they arrested, put me in jail because they locked us in jail together and some, a child, a young person was in there. And somehow they said that I was contributing to the, the lengthening of a minor. Well, my lawyer had already hmm. said that delinquent is a behavior, hmm. an action of behavior. And so how could she be, I be contributing right now mm-hmm. when it was happening? Mm-hmm. You got to show some results that I've done. Mm-hmm. So all that was enlightening my mind, but I still know I was going to be convicted. Mm-hmm. And so I went out and, and, and the, uh, the courtyard was full of black folk. And I was, and I fell. And of course, the idea of the person, the, the, the DA, is to make me feel like a criminal. I mean, that's the idea. To get the juries are gonna make it, but if I feel like a criminal, and I walked out there and I was, I felt like my life had come to an end. And, and that's when suffering become vicarious because it's not for yourself. When it's for somebody else, it become redemptive. Jesus could redeem us because he wasn't dying for himself. Our sacrifice in life is not, often not just be for ourselves. It becomes inspiring and redemptive when you begin to understand that. You got to understand that. So when I'm down at my lowest moment, I won't be able to have a ministry again. I won't be respected in the community again. This old black lady yeah, uh, came out there, and I'm 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 dead. Well, you know that's that's the best thing about prison. That's why revolutionaries come out of prison because they're at the end, and so, many times that's when God can speak to you, that you can hear him. And she said, you're not standing for yourself. You're standing for all black people. Oh, I thought of Martin Luther King saying, I had seven little children, eight little children. He said, I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a land where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. Uh, this give meaning to my life. <laughs> That's what we need is a little bit more of, a commitment to life. We'll question that now. Oh, we'll question whether our life matters. Whether it's black life or white life, this is not to be questioned. Mm-hmm. That's a statement from God, and it's a statement about Himself, mm-hmm. about humanity. Yeah, yeah. Am I asking? So that was a that was a a moment in my life, and there have been other times in my life when I was in the Brandon jail, 
and had been tortured there. Uh, well, I saw my tortures. I could analyze them. And what I wanted with me, uh, if I'd have had me uh, 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 an atomic hand grenade, <laughs> I would have pulled a plug, I thought. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Then I thought about it, that my reaction was worse as their reaction. Mm -hmm. Then I saw I was broken. Mm -hmm. I was broken. Mm -hmm. Then that's when I thought of the love of Jesus Christ, which we call the gospel. Mm -hmm. I said, Lord, if I get out of this jail alive, I want to preach a gospel that is stronger than my blackness. I want to preach a gospel that is stronger than my socioeconomic interests. Yeah. Mm. I want to preach a gospel that can reconcile us to God and each other. Mm. Um, I think that also creates my emotion. Mm. That, that, that we can do that and we are doing a little of that. That's hopeful. Yeah, you bet. Mm -hmm. You bet. That we can do that and we're doing a little of it. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. That's what this table before us represents. And we need now to transition to that table. But this is Christ's table. Yes. And there is a seat for everyone at this table. Mm-hmm. It is the table of reconciliation. Yes. It is the place where the love of God in Jesus Christ becomes part of who we are. Mm -hmm. So as we prepare for that table, our choir is going to lead us in an anthem. And I hope it gives you a chance to reflect and to pray as we prepare our hearts. John Perkins, thank you for your presence here. Phil Eaton, thank you. Yeah.